Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We're in Genesis chapter 4. If you turn there, the way of Cain is the message. Just to give you a heads up, if you hold a place in Hebrews 11 and 1 John 3, you'll be ahead and you'll be ready to turn there when we go there. Genesis 4, Hebrews 11, 1 John 3. Those would be the main places that you're going to need to navigate the way of Cain. Let's pray one more time. Father, as we look at our world this morning, we know that uh, in many ways it's a hurting place. Trouble in the Middle East, all kinds of questions going on, all kinds of diplomatic solutions looking for and searching out and different opinions. And then Lord, we we look at our world and we know that there's just a lot going on, a lot of empty, broken people. And uh, as we look at the story of Cain and Abel, the first murder in the Bible, we see that Cain chose a path, a way, the way of Cain. And it was the wrong way. And all of us have a choice. We can choose the way of Cain or the way of Christ. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one is going to come to the Father except through you. Those are your words, Lord. Help us to find that right path. Even if we've messed up and made huge mistakes, there's hope. And there's going to be hope in this story, but there's also tragedy in this story. And it's so fitting for our world in light of just recent events. So what we ask, Lord, is that you'll give us ears to hear what your Spirit says to the church Help us to look at our own hearts. Let the searchlight of your word search us. David said, search my heart, O God. Know my anxious thoughts. If there's any wicked way in me, anything evil, lead me in the everlasting way. Lord, we are here to hear from you. And so speak to us. Your servants are listening. And help us to act upon your word in a way that would bring you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. After the events that happened in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon, another, yet another brutal shooting in America, eight students dead, a teacher dead, latest statistics I think are 20 wounded. I jumped on Fox News a couple days back and the headlines read, filled with hate. And a young man, 26-year-old man, uh, apparently enrolled at the college goes into a writing class with a question. He has disdain for organized religion, we're told, and his question is simply this, are you a Christian? And if you say you are, he shoots you in the head. And witnesses say, if you say you're not, you get shot in the leg. Uh, I also have heard reports, and I can't confirm all of this, but since nine people died, some people apparently said yes. I'm a Christian. But what would you do if you were the seventh one in that line and six before you had died for answering in the affirmative? That's our world. And we begin to ask questions, and we need to, about what's at the heart of this? What is the reason that someone would go into a school? And, you know, I I started looking at statistics, and you can go back and forth on statistics, but one 
government official confirmed by a story in a major newspaper said that since the shootings in Connecticut, you may have forgotten, but let me remind you, 20 little kids were shot in December 2012 at an elementary school, plus I think six more teachers. That young man went, went in and killed little kindergartners right around Christmas time. And now, you know, you turn on the news and you see all the pundits, all the so-called experts uh, telling us what's wrong with America. And the answers are, we need more gun control. The answers are, there's a lot of mentally unstable people in the world, and that's why people kill each other. But did you know that in Genesis 4, just as it seems like the Lord always does when we're in a section, the answers will come. And what I don't hear in our culture a lot is things like this. Maybe the root of this problem is sin. Maybe the root of this problem is Satan. No, we're too enlightened for that kind of stuff. Yeah, we've come so far. In fact, one of the statistics I read, and I'm not sure if this is borne out, but even if it's close, is that since the Connecticut shooting, there have been 142 school shootings since December 2012. Now, I did a cross-check on that, and somebody said, well, that's every instance where someone had a gun somewhere, even if it went off accidentally, or they had a gun in their car, or something like that. But even if it's a quarter of that, and I read another statistic that it's about 33 school shootings since 2012, and you can go ahead and check that. Even if it's close, you have to begin asking questions. Like, what in the world is going on in America? What would cause an individual to have so much hate and what you don't hear in some of the speeches that are coming forth, you hear gun control and that kind of thing, but do you know that it appears that nine Christians were killed because they had faith in Christ? You have to begin asking questions because it's happening all over the world. It's happening right here in the United States. This is not Iran. This is not Syria. This is Oregon. Where are we? What are the pundits actually giving us to give us answers to the real questions? Well, we went to back to the beginning because, frankly, in prayer, I felt like the Lord said, this is where we need to go. We need to go back to the genesis of everything, the origins, and find out the answers. And we found out things like we know who the creator is. It's God. He made the sun, moon, and stars. He made all the animals. He made the fish, and he made the people. And those are big answers, amen? Those are answers of origins. But we've also found out something else. We are going back to the beginning. Genesis means beginning or origin. And we're seeing other things like we saw the beginning of the fall. We saw the fall. Adam and Eve fall. We saw the beginning of blame shifting. The woman you gave me, she told me to eat. And the woman blamed the serpent. But then we see the graciousness of God, the seeker of the lost. He comes into the garden and he takes the skins of animals, implying he killed animals, and he clothes our first parents. He covers them. And early pictures of the gospel begin to emerge the Evangelian uh, scholars call it the, the serpent will bruise the heel of the Messiah, but the Messiah will bruise or crush his head. And we see hope. And our first parents are covered by the death of an animal, cloaked and covered by the hands of Almighty God. But then they are forced out of the garden, and out they go. 
And now we move into Genesis 4, and we see here in Genesis 4, homicide is the centerpiece. I'm quoting from R. Kent Hughes. This is far more than the record of the first murder, though. This is about the way of Cain. The corruption and slide of a heart away from God into notorious sin. We will even find here, and I would encourage you all to be listening closely, in this text, how to avoid relational disasters. So be ready to take some notes, because I think you're going to find that there's some stuff in here about how to make our relationships work and how to avoid sin. One note, in verses 1 through 17 in Genesis 4, you'll find the name Abel uh, seven times, the name brother or the word brother seven times, and the name Cain 14 times, which is really interesting. There's that number seven begins repeating over and over again. And the Bible narrative begins this way. Now, Genesis 4.1, the man, that is Adam, had relations, the Hebrew word is yada, it means to know his wife. He had relations with his wife. This is what God told them to do. Be fruitful and multiply. You will become one in the blessing of marriage. This is God's idea. God blesses it. And so they did. They came together and she conceived. She was pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man-child. I like Eve already. I got a man-child. Yeah. It's pretty cool. The word man-child is actually the Hebrew word ish. I've given birth to a man. And there's some surprise, I think, here. But she says, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. It's almost like Eve is saying, God made man, and now, with God's help, I made a man. Isn't that cool? Imagine what that must have been like for Adam and Eve, the first birth of a baby. The first realization of this incredible process of a covenant of a man and a woman coming together, pregnancy, the skillful uh, creation of God Almighty in the womb, and then the birth of a child. And she would have that pain. Uh, God promised her her pain would increase in childbirth, and she would experience the pain, but then she would give birth to a son. His name is called Cain. What's the origin of his name? Well, it could come from Cana, which is the word for gotten. I have gotten a man-child or acquired a man from the Lord. That's Cana. It could also mean possession. So his name may just simply mean I've acquired. I got Cain from God. So his name is gotten or uh, possession with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth, verse 2, to his brother, Abel, Again, some think that that implies maybe there's twins here, back-to-back births. We don't know for sure. Or it could be be that, again, just means the process of verse 1 happened again. They were intimate. She conceived. And again, the Bible is just telling us highlights here. She gave birth to his brother, Abel. His name in Hebrew is Havel or Hebel. And literally, if you look up the word in the Hebrew dictionary, the word Abel or the name Abel means breath. However, the word havel is used 38 times in Ecclesiastes, and the word breath is the idea of vanity. In fact, early in that book, Solomon says vanity of vanities, and that word can mean emptiness. It can mean that which is uh, hard to understand. But the basic definition of havel, H-E-V-E-L in English, really means short-lived. Life is a breath. It's a vapor. 
Uh, We're here today, gone tomorrow. Could Adam and Eve have known how appropriate that name was for Abel? Maybe they were thinking breath would be appropriate because God breathes into us life, but the wider definition of Hevel or Abel is short-lived, and that's what his life was. His life was cut short, sadly, by his brother. So it came about in the course of time, Genesis 4-3, probably at a marked time that God had given them for sacrifice or at the end of an agricultural year, it came about in the course of time. So much time has gone by now. They're two adults. They're learning to worship God. That Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Now you'll notice in verse 2 that Abel was a keeper of the flocks. He was a shepherd. He watched over flocks. He protected and uh, took care of. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. Like many firstborn, he followed in the footsteps of dad. Dad was to till the ground and he it was going to now produce weeds and that kind of thing and so Cain naturally follows in the footsteps of dad he's a farmer and Abel is a shepherd so Cain does a very natural thing he takes from that which he sows to he is a tiller of the ground literally in Obed Adama he is a servant of the ground and he brings a fruit offering or a grain offering or from his crops that's very natural and in fact the Old Testament would acknowledge that Offerings of animals and offerings of fruit or grain are both acceptable to God. We're to bring the first fruits, and maybe that's what he did. It doesn't say specifically, but he brought an offering to the Lord. An offering is an act of worship. And so he brings something to God. God commanded this, and he did it. And Abel also, notice on his part also, brought of the firstlings of his flock. He took from what he did, he was a shepherd, And he took the firstborn of his flock, very appropriate, and their fat portions, highly treasured by God in the Old Testament. Sweet-smelling aroma would come up to God from these portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. I want you to note that it's going to say that God had regard for Abel as a person and for what he brought. He looked favorably upon Abel's offering. But you'll notice in verse 5, but for Cain... And for his offering, so notice there's a differentiation between the person and the offering, but they kind of go together. For Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. He did not look with favor upon Cain's offering as he did upon Abel's. Now, if you read on this, you're going to read all kinds of stuff about whether or not God had instituted animal offerings, and that's what he really wanted. And so that maybe Cain failed in that he didn't bring an animal offering because his, first, his parents would have learned that blood sacrifice happened in Genesis 3 and maybe that's what God wanted and the failure was he brought fruit instead of an animal. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't tell us the problem is with the material offering of Cain. There's something deeper going on here. There's, there's a silence in the Genesis text about the heart of the problem and maybe that's the most important thing. In fact, one writer says, perhaps the silence is the message itself. Perhaps the fault is an internal one, an attribute that is known only to God. We will see later that this is precisely what the New Testament interpretation of this event is. The real issue with Cain is a matter of the heart. It's an internal issue. He didn't bring it by faith. He didn't really believe in God. He mailed it in. He wrote the check. He brought the offering. He looked religious, but something was amiss in Cain's life. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are what? 
What God cares about is the heart. He says, on the day that you fast, Isaiah 58, you're fighting with your brother. What good is your fasting if you're at odds with your brother? And at some points in the Old Testament, he says to Israel, I'm sick of your festivals. I'm sick of your offerings. Don't even bring them anymore. And you might say, well, whoa, God, hold on a minute. You're the one that prescribed them. Why would you tell us not to bring them anymore? Because God says they don't mean anything anymore. All they are is simply a religious thing that you do. I don't have your heart, so I don't care about your offering. And Cain may be the first picture of a person who does exactly this. Now, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11, and that's where I hope you've held a place, Hebrews 11 gives us a little bit more insight. He's giving us the great hall of faith, and he's going to go through all these characters of the Bible. He's going to start off in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. He says, now faith, Hebrews 11, is the assurance, verse 1, of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the context is faith, men of old, what did they do? They gained approval. Skip down to verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, speaking of his sacrifice here, and through faith, though he is dead, he what? He still speaks. So what happened, if you flip back to Genesis 4, is there was a lack of faith on Cain's part, but faith in Abel's part. And I don't think it's the offering necessarily that's the issue. It's the heart. It's coming to God by faith. How do you please God? It's you believe him. You have a relationship with him by faith. And so the two brothers bring the offerings instructed by God. Augustine uh, says the heart of the matter is this. Cain was the firstborn and he belonged to the city of men. Abel, who was born after, belonged to the city of God. Sacrifice is acceptable to God not for its material content, but so far as it is the outward expression of a devoted and obedient heart. You can write a check all day long. You can show up to a building all day long, but that doesn't really show your heart. What shows your heart is your attitude of worship and what you do. And so Cain There was no regard for his offering. Genesis 4, verse 5, God did not look favorably upon it. And Cain's reaction was, so Cain, Genesis 4, 5, became very angry and his face or his countenance fell. I almost picture a little kid, you know, how they can be so happy. Daddy, 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 can we do this? No. I mean, it's such a quick change from bling to boom. And that's what Cain did. His face fell. He became angry. He was confronted with the reality that his offering was not what God wanted. And instead of looking inward, what did he do? He became angry, like a lot of us do. We can become like little kids. What do you mean my offering's not good enough? What? Well, God has a reason. He's not just, you know, rejecting Cain because... uh, of the material offering. I'm sure he prescribed things, but I don't think that's it. I think there's something else going on here. And God is trying to get Cain to look at his heart. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Verse six. And note it twice. Why has your face or your countenance fallen? Why are you angry? I remember listening to some parenting advice years ago. 
when my kids were small. And they said if a kid ever does something to a sibling and something bad has happened, you should begin to ask them questions like this. What's going on in your heart that you would do that? Why would you act that way and try to get them to look within because we're so good at making excuses and and so good at deflecting blame. So God's questions are remedial. He's saying, why? Look a little deeper. Why are you mad? Why has your face or your countenance fallen? Take a look. God's questions are searching ones to get him to look at himself. God says, if you do well, God provides a solution. Will not your countenance be lifted up? Verse 7. And if you do not do well, here's the problem. Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire, same Hebrew word as 3.16, we talked about marriage, is for you, but you must master it. Sin wants to dominate you, but you must master it. And if you do well, and now we begin to see the problem with Cain, Cain's problem is a sin problem. He's a prideful man. In fact, rabbinic scholars, Jewish scholars used to say that Cain was a picture of a man who didn't really think about consequences. He was a more a material man. He didn't think about spiritual things. And God says, look, if you turn things around, there's a solution. Your face will change. Do you know that it's quite possible just from this text that a lot of people that walk around with a sour face, sometimes we call it a sour puss, it may be because they're in habits of sin. Some people's faces are just frozen in a frown. And you're like, could, could you smile? <laughs> Hello! It's not all that bad, is it? I don't know. Maybe we're getting a little bit more insight about how life works. How the face begins to reflect the life. And what people go through. I'm not saying that You can't have sadness on your face, but I'm saying if that becomes the permanent situation and God says, look, if you want to change things, if you do well, if you improve, your face will change. How about that? Now today, we can't say that. Now today in college campuses, we were having a discussion at the men's breakfast yesterday, Joe Kelly talking to us about apologetics and stuff like that. And my son was asked the question, is this true of your generation that we've become soft and all that? And he said, yeah. In fact, I just read an article that on college campuses, they now have safe rooms. If something happens in the school, a debate of ideas, and you become uncomfortable, you can go to your safe place. It's a padded room where you won't hurt yourself. I'm not joking, folks. I don't know if it's padded. But... (laughs) But these rooms exist. And it's if you're uncomfortable with, with people being, you know, having different ideas and the argument just goes in a direction that makes you uncomfortable, go to your safe place. We're a bunch of sissies, man. We have become soft. We are catering to this stuff. I, 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 I just look at it and I'm, I don't even know how to respond to it. But only to say, I look at my Bible and God says to Cain, if you want to change your life, do better. Hello? That seems pretty like common sense. You want to get better grades? Study more. You want to lose weight? Don't eat as many cupcakes. But I saw that late night thing that makes you get the six pack with it. No! It doesn't work. You want to get stronger? Work out. You want to be more spiritual? Read your Bible. You don't want sin to dominate you anymore? Change what you do. 
Personal responsibility is in the Bible. And God says, if you change things, if you do well, look, this is a real option from real truth. It can really happen. Adam and Eve had a real choice, and so did Cain. He could choose to do better. And God gives him a picture. He says, sin is the issue, and sin is crouching at the door. Now, sin, when it shows up at your door, it, it crouches. It doesn't stand up so you can look through your little peep thing. Where's it? Sin. Well, Oscar, in, in Genesis chapter 4, you know, you had talked about, we touched on this in a brief, previous broadcast, that sin's consequences go out now to the children. And it's really sad, you know, to see our kids uh, repeat mistakes that we've made. And hopefully they don't have to. But Cain did receive a warning from God, and this is something that we touched on before we came on the air. And the warning was, why are you so angry? Why has your countenance fallen? And then he says, look, if you do well, things will change. I'm paraphrasing. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And it interests me, Oscar, that sin is kind of personified here as real sneaky. Mm-hmm. You know, crouching. Kind of like you look through the eye hole of the door and sin is <laughs> you know, ducking, right? Um, being really stealth. And not all sin is that way. Some sin is very overt. But the essence of sin is really that it, it, can, it can sneak up on us. Temptation can come like that, often when we're not looking at it. There's some premeditated things that we do. You know, we knew the line, that's a transgression, and we step over it. But sometimes sin just, it's just there. It's lurking, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we're told here, you know, God is telling Cain, um, its desire is for you, right? It wants to dominate you. And we'll, we'll get to this word desire a little later. But you must master it. Yes. Now here's a here's a let, let's just assume for the moment that we have uh, most of our listeners are Christians right now, and and they're trying to deal with a world full of sin and temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. You don't want to put yourself in temptation situations. But even Jesus was tempted, and he was without sin. Mm-hmm. But this idea of sin crouching at the door. Um, what kind of picture does that paint for you? Well, for me, here these men had an institution to follow in worshiping God and giving up their offerings. And so Abel was obedient in what he had to do, what was required of him. And to me, it seems that Cain refused to live that way and he was doing his own thing. So I'm guessing it might have been a continual thing to where he was facing danger and that's what God gave him the warning. He didn't really have to do that, but God was telling him, you keep going in this direction. Now with sin crouching at the door, it, you painted the picture of a lion or even a tiger ready to devour something. And once we keep walking that way, uh, the desire for this sin to take over for us is that it not only wants to trip us, but really go against what God has for us. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.